Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. All right, James 5, if you got your Bible, turn there. Week 5 of our series on James, we are coming to a close tonight. Next week, we are going to launch a brand new series entitled God is Holy. Everyone say, God is Holy. We're going to walk through the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, okay. So that's going to start next week. But tonight, we get to finish the book of James. Book of James. Letter to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. He's writing to to people with Jewish history, people who understand the law, people who understand tradition. We've talked about a lot of different things, a lot of different things. We've talked about how we are called as God's people to count it all joy. Everyone say joy. Joy. Count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds. Why? Because we know that through it, God is producing steadfastness in us. We've talked about faith and works. Everyone say faith works. That's right, faith works. We, we, came to, we came to realize that what James is not saying is that works must be added to your faith for you to be a son or a daughter of the most high God. But your faith should be characterized by works. In other words, you will be known by your fruit. You'll be known by your fruit. We talked about the power of the tongue power of the tongue and in reality how the tongue is driven by the heart and by how the heart is driven by identity. So we talked about who we are before the Lord and who God sees us as. And then last week if you were here, Pastor Victor knocked it out of the park talking about how God is worthy. Everyone say worthy. Well, we're going to be talking about that word a lot in the next couple weeks. But he talked about how there's a war of passions within you. There's going to have to be a reality that sets in that we are either going to have singularity, single devotion to God or we're going to live a duplicitous life where we're going to be giving ourselves to two things and there's going to be a constant war of those two things in our lives. So who will we submit to? And tonight we're going to talk about how God cares. Everyone say God cares. This kind of feels weird talking about this to James, but I'll explain in a minute. James 5, starting in verse 13, this is what it says. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, everyone say therefore. Therefore. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently. That it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. To which all God's people said, thanks be to God. We're getting pretty good at that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. 
God, I thank you that it's Wednesday night. Oh, what a gift Wednesday nights are. I thank you that we get to gather here as friends, as family, as brothers and sisters. We get to declare your praises. We get to engage with one another. We get to pray. We get to sing. We get to sit under your word. So Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to us this evening? Would you make alive and active your word? Would you show us this evening that you're a God who intimately cares for us? Show us yourself. Would you give yourself to us tonight? And would you give us hearts to receive you tonight? pray that you would guard our hearts, you would guard our minds. You would filter out what's inaccurate and you would let set in what is true. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you have your way? We love you. We praise you. And if you're with me tonight, say amen. Amen. You know, James is kind of one of those letters that whether you've been following Jesus for 30 seconds or you've been following Jesus for 30 years, you read it and you still feel like a child. Like you read it and you go, wow, I've been following Jesus for a long time and I still feel pathetic. <laughs> you know, like every, every time I come to the end of this letter, I read every chapter. Like I sit there and go like, Lord, I am, I am so inadequate at this Christian thing, at this walk of faith. I mean, we, we, we talk about what we've talked about in the last four weeks. I count it all joy. And if I were to sit here and be honest with you tonight, like I, I could say like the ratio of me counting trials as joy versus the ratio of me complaining and being upset about trials is like one to 50. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's pathetic. Faith works. Like I can't tell you how many times I've, I've literally sat and I, and I sat under the theology and I believe for the longest time that I was saved based upon what I did. And I worked so, 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 so hard. And then, and then I, get, I get the picture or the understanding of grace and then I can swing to the other side where I go, you know what? I'm saved anyway. I'm just not going to engage with what God's doing in my life and in the world around me. And we can get it to us. And I, and I, I can't tell you how many times my tongue has spoken so many filthy things versus clean things. Whether it was through slander or gossip or sarcasm or anger or bitterness or unforgiveness. Like the amount of times I've spoken curses versus me speaking life over somebody. And how many times I have gotten my identity twisted up. Am I alone this evening? Like, right? Like you come to the end of this and you go, yeah, that's not me. That's not me. That's definitely not me. And we're, like, we're talking about a war of passions within us. Like Pastor Victor talking last, last week about this reality of like there's, you're going to give your time, your heart, your energy, like your lordship to something. And there's always going to be a reality of like life vying for your attention, God vying for your attention, and you're going to go back and forth. And I can honestly sit here as your pastor and say, I've lost that battle most of the time. And then I get to the end of James 5. I'm like, my life sucks. <laughs> Sorry, it's not church language. Right? But I'm like, oh, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. 
And then James meets us with James 5, verse 13. If any of you are suffering, pray. Pray. If any of you is cheerful, sing praise. If any of you is sick, go to the elders of the church and let them lay hands on you and pray for you. Confess your sins to one another. Let that pray for one another. Why? Because prayer of a righteous man, it is working. Another translation says it is powerful and it is effective. And here's the thing. I think one of the dangers of our time, one of the dangers of our life, is that we begin to, to assume this mindset where we begin to compartmentalize everything. Everything in your life has a space in your life. It is an occupied space in your life. Your family in your life has an occupied space of your life, right? Like your friendships in your life, they have an occupied space and time in which you engage with them in your life. If you're an, if you're an athlete in here, your sport has an occupied space in your life. It's there. You go to it, you spend time that you have dedicated to it. Everything in your life has an occupied, dedicated space. And so we begin to look at life this way as if it's like a budget. And we say, okay, I'm going to give this part of my time to this, this space. I'm going to give this part of my life to this space. And we, can be, we begin to compartmentalize it out. And the danger of this is we begin to do this so much that all of a sudden who we are before God, our faith itself gets compartmentalized. Your walk with God has an area. Predominantly abides on Wednesday nights, maybe Sunday mornings. Maybe if you do a prayer meeting at school. Maybe if you wake up every day and you pray. It's like these are the spaces of your life that you have dedicated and made time for Jesus to be Lord. And brothers and sisters, that's a dangerous game. Dangerous game. Dangerous game. What James is getting at here is he's going, no, 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 no. Your faith is not to be an area of your life. It is supposed to be your life. Are you with me here tonight? He's echoing some words of Paul. Paul in Colossians 3. Colossians 3 verse 4. He says this. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. When Christ who is your what? Not when Christ is put in his area of your life. Not when Christ has been set into an aspect of your life. When Christ who is your life. What does that mean? It means that he's everything. All that you do, all that you have, all that you are is for the glory of God. Is your life, everything, 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 everything. He is your life. He is your strength. He is your encouragement. He is your foundation. He is your covering. He is your wall. He is everything that you need. Christ is your life. Brothers and sisters, we must be so careful not, com not to compartmentalize our faith. He is our life. Are you with me tonight? He's your life. And this is what I think happens. We get to this point in James and we begin to feel really pathetic and really deficient. 
We begin to get to a place where we go, you know what, like, I'm falling up short in all of these areas. Like, can we just be practical? It's like, no, I do not count trials as joy. I do not always work with my faith, and and my faith isn't always characterized by my works. My tongue is not always one that gives life and blesses people, and almost most of the time, the war of passions that are taking place within me, the world is winning. And you know what happens for most people at this point? They walk away from their faith. They walk away from their faith. The daunting reality of trying to keep up with this so-called Christianity idea becomes so discouraging because to the flesh it becomes so impossible that people walk away. People walk away and we get to James 5 with James realizing you are going to fall short in all of these areas. You are not going to be the perfect Christian in your mind. Even the better future version of you is still not going to live up to that standard that you think you need to be at. And instead of him saying, be discouraged, walk away, you shouldn't even try it, his response is no. Run to the Father. Come be in the presence of God. Don't you understand? Jesus knew you were going to be really pathetic. Jesus knew you were going to really fall short. Jesus knew that you would not always count joy in your trials. Jesus knew that your faith was not always going to be characterized by your works. Jesus knew that your tongue was going to be filthy so many times because you buy into a false identity. Jesus knew that in the war of passions within you, your flesh would win so many times. And what's his response? He goes to a cross goes and he dies for you. Why? So you could get the message. Don't run away. Come here. Run to me. Run to me. Run to me. Run to me. And here in James 5, James is giving us three means by which we are to run to the Lord. Every time we enter into prayer, we run to the Father. Every time we enter into prayer, we run to the Father. Why? Why is it that when we enter into prayer, we run to the Father? Brothers and sisters, because the gospel message is a call to relationship with the God of the universe. Relationship. Not religious practice. Not spiritual habits. Not ethical and moral behavior, not righteous living, relationship. He's called you to relationship. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Not that you are are becoming more defined and more disciplined in your holistic living. It's relationship. And hear me tonight. You very well can be living a life that gives you confidence because you feel like you're doing it well. You're praying enough. You're in the word enough. You go to church enough. You say all the right things. You do all the right things. But you do not see this message as a relationship. You see it as religion. And hear me, the end of that road is hell. Literally. 
The end of that road is hell. He hasn't called you to any religion. He's called you to a relationship with himself. Relationship with himself. So three means that he gives you to run to him. And they're very simple and they're very common in what you hear in church. Prayer, worship, and community. Prayer, worship, and community. Now here's the thing. Tonight, as we close this book, I'm not about to give you any like profound, awe-inspiring soul message. I'm going to get really practical with you tonight. Is that okay? I'm going to get really practical. We're going to go, okay, this is what it means to pray. This is what it means to worship. This is what it means to be in community. Because I think if we have misunderstanding of these things, and sometimes like these, there are these lofty ideas that we just throw around at church, and yet we have nothing to hold fast to. And if we're lazy with that, so many things begin to break down. So here's the deal. I'm going to talk with you now about prayer, worship, and community and why they are a means for you to run to the Lord, not away, not away from Him. Are you with me tonight? All right, so prayer. Prayer is one of those things where we sit here and it's like, I'm probably not to, about to say anything in the next three to five minutes that you don't know about prayer. That you don't know that you should or should not be doing with prayer. But the reality is it's something that we neglect and ignore. And I'm willing to bet that more than half of this room is really uncomfortable praying. Really uncomfortable praying. Why? Because it's a pretty vulnerable place. I mean, it's like having a conversation sometimes with it feels like somebody who's not there, right? You're kind of lofting words up that don't seem to click. And I, I want you to begin to, to shift your thinking tonight from prayer as a religious practice to prayer as, as a means to invest in a relationship. Not a religious practice. Something as a means to invest in a relationship. So the first thing I want to tell you about prayer is this. Plan to pray. Plan to pray. Plan to pray. I know that sounds so weird. And it almost sounds like too type A. And I am a type A person. Plan to pray. It's literally in my calendar. Pray, Tim. Pray. Plan to pray. You go, that kind of sounds ridiculous. Like, why would I need to plan to pray? Let me ask you this. When you get a girlfriend or a boyfriend one day, you going to plan to go on a date? You better if you want to have them for long. <laughs> right? Six years ago, I started a dating relationship with the most gorgeous girl on earth. Still is the most gorgeous girl on earth. And you know why four and a half years ago I was able to say I do at an altar? Because I plan to spend time with that girl. I plan to spend time with that girl. I plan to talk to that girl. I strategically plan how I could run into that girl so she'd have to talk with me. <laughs> I would drive home 12 hours through the night from Dallas, Fort Worth to see that girl sing in a choir concert. I made time. I made time, I made time, I made time. And you know, you know why I made time? My father used to make this statement to me as a kid, and he still says it to me as an adult. He said, son, if it matters to you, you'll make time. If it doesn't, you'll make excuses. Ooh. It's that fatherly wisdom. Son, if it matters to you, you'll make time. If it doesn't, you'll make excuses. I'm married to my bride today for four and a half years. Why? Because it mattered to me. She mattered to me. 
And if I'm to see the gospel as a call into relationship, I have to see it as a relationship that matters to me. When you pray, you're going to engage and be with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Plan to pray. Put it on your schedule. Know when you're going to pray. In the morning, wake up. Let it be the first thing that you do. I don't care how long it is. Throughout your day when you're driving to school, pray, pray, pray. And don't just sit there and pray for yourself. Pray for your friends. Pray for your family. Ask the Lord to strengthen you. Go in prayer with thanksgiving. There are different modes of prayer that we could say here and I could do a whole sermon on. But pray. Plan to do it. Make it a regular part of your life. Make it a daily part of your life. Second thing about prayer is engage wholeheartedly. Engage wholeheartedly. The worst dates I have ever had with my wife and her as my girlfriend were the ones where I brought my phone and I was texting while we were on a date. Fellas, listen to me. There's a thing called airplane mode. There's a thing called the power button. Leave it in the car. Why? Because to be present with someone means to be absent everywhere else. Are you with me? To be present with someone is to be absent everywhere else. Realize that when you go to the place of prayer, realize that when you're going to steward and cultivate your relationship with the Lord, remove your distractions. Take them out. If, if, if you hear that phone ding, if you hear that thing light up and immediately your mind goes to who's contacting me, then go pray in a different room without that phone. Your environment, where you're going to pray. Don't, don't pray in a place where you're going to be distracted. Engage wholeheartedly with the God you're going to commune with. Are you with me tonight? Engage wholeheartedly. Number three. Let's put number three on before I look at my notes. Okay. Surround yourself with others who pray. Oh, I love this one. Surround yourself with others who pray. You know, the only thing that, the only way we improve at doing something is by doing something with people who are better than ourselves. You with me? Now, I'm not suggesting to you tonight that some people pray better than others. What I am suggesting to you tonight is that there are some people who crave the presence of God more and who are more comfortable with engaging the presence of God on a regular basis that you need to get your life around. When I was four, five, six years old, my father walked in one night and he set a chessboard in front of me. He put all the pieces up and he said, all right, son, here's the deal. I'm going to take my queen and my rook off. For all my chess nerds in here, you know what that means. And he said, the day you can beat me with all your pieces, I give you 20 bucks. This was two decades ago. $20 was a lot. And I'm a competitive person. So every night, I'd sit and play him. And he started out with no queen, no rook. He just had one rook and the rest of his pieces. And we play. I play four or five games a night. Probably took me six, seven months to beat him. But the day came where I beat him. So he said, all right, I'm going to add a rook. So he added a rook and he'd leave his queen off. And we'd play again four, five, six, seven times a night. Every night, every night, every night, every night. Probably took me a year, two years. Finally beat him. He said, all right. Added the queen to the chessboard. I was like, all right. Play every night. Four, five, six games. 
Y'all, I became a guru at chess. <laughs> I love that game. And I will never forget the night, sitting down in my family room. I was not yet 10 years old. Sitting across from my dad, the fireplace to our left. I'm sitting on a chair, coffee table in between us. He's sitting on the couch. The day I put him in checkmate with all of his pieces. I made that money. And here's the deal. You know know why I got better at chess? Because I played somebody who was a lot better than me who could kick my butt. I'm doing the same thing with my wife right now. I brought the chess board in, set it down. (laughs) I kid you not. We're like three weeks into it where I take the queen and the rook off. Babe, the day you can beat me, we're still working on the prize that she's going to get that day. She's going big though. She's like, I want a trip to Hawaii or something like that. Like she's like, $20 my butt. Like, no. But every night we sit there and my, my wife isn't as competitive as me. She at most has two games in her. So it might take like two decades for her to get there. But she, she'll sit there and we play. We play. And you can watch as the wheels start turning when, we, when she plays chess now. Why? Because she's playing somebody who's better than her. (laughs) I ain't going to lie, that felt good to say. (laughs) There'll come a day, there'll come a day, and knowing my wife, especially after tonight, that won't be the case. But that's how we get better. Brothers and sisters, if you do not have people in your life who hunger and thirst for the presence of God more than you do, you will suffer. You will suffer. Your spiritual walk will suffer. You know why I love doing this job? You know why I love standing before you every Wednesday night? I love preparing to preach. I love coming here and kicking butt in Foursquare. And I love coming here and I love going to coffee with so many of you and listening. You know why I love doing it? Because I surrounded myself with people like Victor Mendoza. Chase Windebank, Catherine Gerstenberg, people who love Jesus. And every day I come to work, I get to work with people who are so passionate about their walk with God that it inspires my faith. I get to work with people that are so passionate about you knowing the presence of God that it becomes easy for me to want you to know the presence of God. Brothers and sisters, find yourself people who love to pray who love to get in the presence of God more than you do and spend time with them. I'm not saying neglect your friends who aren't as spiritual. I'm not saying walk away from relationships of people who need to know Jesus. No, absolutely not. You need to be those people for those people. But if you do not have people in your life who hunger and thirst for the presence of God, your spiritual walk is going to suffer. Your faith is going to suffocate. You need people who want to know Jesus. And the last one is very simple and it's very cliche. Pray until you pray. Pray until you pray. You're uncomfortable with praying, keep praying. You don't want to pray, keep praying. You're angry at God, keep praying. Pray, 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 pray. Pray until it hurts. Pray until you're so tired of it. Pray until you're exhausted. Pray until you don't know what to pray anymore. Pray until you pray. Brothers and sisters, this is what characterized the life of a follower of Jesus. You want to know how 
in three years when you're in college and everybody around you is saying the whole Christian thing does not work and you're watching a generation of people run from the Father, it's going to be by doing this that you're running to him. Pray. Get in the presence of God. Engage, cultivate, and steward a relationship. Are you with me tonight? All right, point number two, worship. Everyone say worship. I know Pastor Victor's probably wanting to preach this part of the message. Worship. Oh. Worship does a couple things for us. We come in here and we, we have these minstrels, these musicians stand up here and lead us in something beautiful. Beautiful. And I think where we go wrong is, again, this is the danger of this age. We compartmentalize everything. So there are like three aspects of this service, right? You come, well, maybe four. You come in, get your butt kicked in four square. Then we go into small groups. And we come in here and we worship. And predominantly we look at worship as like this moment to, to warm up for the night. It's almost kind of like this moment of like this kind of like is to get us in the feels <laughs> Of reading the scriptures. And brothers and sisters, if that's your approach on worship, you have missed it greatly. Greatly. Worship is so much more than that. We have James here saying, if someone is cheerful, sing a song of praise. Sing a song of praise. Why? There's a couple of reasons why. Number one, worship cultivates intimacy. It cultivates intimacy. Colossians, Colossians 3.16, it says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Listen here, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Not in your mouths to God, in your hearts to God. Remember we said that the heart drives the tongue. When the heart is properly aligned with who you are in Christ, the only logical conclusion is to sing a song of praise. To sing a song of praise. There's a pastor who said one time that, that our worship, the music we sing is, is take-home theology. You know, we can sit here and we can talk about the Trinity and we can talk about the Eucharist and communion, and we can talk about the transubstantiation of the Christian faith and all these theological terms. But you can go home and you can remember how sweet it is to trust in Jesus. You can go home and you can remember, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, my heart will always be yours. It's our way of us declaring truth, not just from the mouth, but from the heart. Are you with me tonight? It cultivates intimacy. You ever notice how music has the ability to stir up your affections? The question is like, what are your affections towards that it's stirring up? Okay, this is low-key secret. It stays in this room. I love country. probably one of the areas of my life that Pastor Victor disrespects me most about. <laughs> and this will earn less respect. I love high school musical. 
I know, I know, I know. It's pathetic. It's pathetic. But here's the thing. You know why, you know why, the, you know why those can be so enjoyable? Because like when I listen to a country song, it's like, it's like country's all about the feels. You know, it's like it's, it's either like singing about like your high school days. I'm like, that was like a decade ago, oh, but those are good days. You know, and it starts like it might provoke like nostalgia in you. So you start like having affections towards the past. Or sometimes like, you know, Brad Paisley can sing some songs. It's like, oh, man, I want to take my wife dancing. It's like, man, I married a babe. And it's like, it's like, ooh. <laughs> you know, like, I like, and, and, and I, you listen to those like romance. I'm like listening to Zac Efron. Like, what about us, you know? What about everything we've been through? And I'm like, yeah! Why are you leaving him? Gabriella, you idiot! Got his necklace and everything! But then you have that moment, you know, where he all of a sudden learns a song in like two and a half minutes. Once in a lifetime. And so she's like sitting in the back, you know, and it's like, and it just feels right. There's something about the music that makes it feel right. Can you imagine if there was no music and you just had like Zach like. (laughs) You know, doing his classic like. (laughs) It just wouldn't feel right. But he grabs sand and he's like, bet on it, bet. You're like, yeah, uh uh-huh. I digress. Right? I've waited so many years to be able to do that from a stage and it's done. Okay? Here we go. There's something about music that stirs up our affections. It does. We sit here, my man, my man Tobin, where's my man Tobin at? Is he in this room? My man Tobin back here. Okay, my man Tobin, like he, he, puts, he puts his headphones in, many ones, and he'll be like sitting there playing four square just in his groove. It's like, Tobin, what do you listen to? Music. Never tells us who is it, just music. But there's something about it. It stirs your, it brings you to a place that otherwise you aren't. And the thing is, when we, when we enter into the place of worship, when we have somebody up here who is cheerful and they sing a song of praise, or we have somebody up here who is broken and they are singing a lament, brothers and sisters, it stirs our affections for the Lord. That's why we do this. That's why we come in and we take 30 minutes of this service and we just praise after praise after praise after praise. Why? Because our affections need to be stirred towards a relationship of somebody who loves us. Stir our affections for people. Stirs our affections for the Lord. And it can't just be disregarded as good music can't be just disregarded and it cultivates intimacy, brings us into the presence of God and transforms us into the image of Christ, not by our behaviors, but in our heart. Are you with me? Are you with me? It cultivates intimacy. Number two, it completes our joy. Completes our joy. I knew I'd get an amen from Pastor Chase on that one. Completes our joy. See, here's the thing. You, you can't have, have the completion or the fulfillment of joy in something until it is expressed. You with me? You can't, like, like joy can't reach its absolute best moment 
until it is expressed. For example, when I think something is funny, how are you going to know that it's funny to me? I'm going to laugh. I'm going to laugh like an idiot. Right? My team makes fun of my laugh all the time. Like, like when, when you, I, I find something funny, you're going to know that I find it funny. Because I'm going to express it in laughter. You know that you enjoy something when you express it in praise. You know it. And it completes the joy that we find in Christ. And more so than that, we know that we enjoy something because we express it in praise. And we can't just leave it at expressing it in praise. We have to invite others into joining us and expressing it in praise. Are you with me? Last year, one of our seniors, Mateo Mendoza, I went to one of his basketball games at Vanguard. And I, dre I dressed like, like a 14-year-old. And I do this partly because when I walk in, I don't want the families of the other team knowing I'm a youth pastor. So, because I, I just throw shade at the other team the whole time. <laughs> so if you play basketball for Vanguard last year, I am so sorry. I'll repent afterwards. So I come in with like my backwards hat, you know, and I'm going in with Pastor Victor. And he looks like a 13-year-old, so we look great. And we walk in, we walk in, and like Vanguard has like the worst school ever for like fan cheering. It's like four risers. That's it. It's pathetic, okay? Pathetic. Well, we're sitting there, we're, cheer we're cheering in this game. And there's this moment where it's like there really is like no CSCS like representation, student body representation at this game. Like nobody's there. Come on, Chase. Like you know. If you go to CSCS, go to their basketball games. They need help. Like you sit there. And so we go to Vanguard and you have the entire like left part of the stadium as all students from Vanguard, and they're, I mean, they're just like letting the team have it. They're going crazy. So me and Victor have this moment. Like, we need to do something about this. <laughs> so on top of like saying very not godly things at the other team, we begin to just like get up and just like, you know that. <laughs> like two, two people. But all of a sudden, it's like you, you begin to get so confident in the action that you start looking at those sitting and you're like. Right? We start inviting people into the mix. There's like three people who responded. It was terrible. <laughs> but this is what it means to enjoy something. It can't be fulfilled until we express it in praise. And we can't help but invite others into it. Brothers and sisters, you're called to worship. You're called to worship. Why? Because the very essence of our lives is saying we enjoy him more than anything else. And we're going to let the world know that we enjoy him more than anything else. Why? Through our praise. Through our praise. Why? Because he's worthy. He's worthy. The place of worship cultivates intimacy for us to run to the Father. It completes our joy in running to the Father. And finally, I lost my spot. It strengthens one for trials and suffering. You know I had to throw that in there. Strengthens one for trials and suffering. I knew a story of a pastor who um, a couple years into his ministry got diagnosed with cancer, brain cancer. And it was a very rare percentage that he was going to survive through um, the chemo, all that stuff. And he said... And the, 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 a lot of people define this as like dark night of the soul. Like the hardest part of your life. And he said he would sit there and he'd, be, he, he'd 
He'd be going through like the CAT scan machine. He'd be going through like the place where they're going to blast his brain with, with radiation. And the only thing he could do was worship. The only thing that could come out of his mouth was worship. And I think there's something to be said when we enter into worship and our affections are stirred towards the God of the universe. And when he says, look, it's going to produce steadfastness in you. It's not something that we can comprehend or explain based upon human terms or human ideology. But it's a miracle from heaven to say, but we worship through it. This is why in the Old Testament, the first line of warriors that would take the battlefield for the people of Israel were worshipers. They'd send them out first. Why? It was their way of declaring and saying, the battle is the Lord's. In the dark night of your soul, when you em embrace worship, it is a means of you running to the Lord and saying, the circumstance is the Lord's. Are you with me tonight? Circumstance is the Lord. Worship, it cultivates intimacy. It completes our joy in him. And it strengthens one for trials and suffering. You with me tonight? All right, that's good because we're about to get really deep. Last one, community. James takes a turn here, and it's not a very fun turn for a lot of people. Verse 16, he says this, therefore confess your sins. Let that sink in for a second. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This is not a fun topic to talk about, but we need to talk about it. We run to the Father through the avenue of community. And brothers and sisters, there's a reason why God made a people, a people to do life together with. To do life in isolation, to do it alone, it'll kill your faith. It'll kill your faith. And Pastor Victor began to touch on this a bit last week where he said, look, when we are dealing with something, what James instructs us to do is two things. Bring it to the Lord and bring it to the light. Bring it to the Lord and bring it to the light. And this is what ends up happening. This is where, again, we, we begin to go compartmentalization. We have areas of our life. And I'm willing to bet at least 90% of the people in this room have an area of your life that is completely hidden. No one knows about it. No one knows about it. And then you come to church and we begin to talk about the word confession. And the, the first image you might get is taking you back to like confessional booth like 300 years ago where it's really awkward. It's like you come in, the priest is on one side, there's like a vented thing. It's like, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. It's awkward. I'm glad Hannah finds that funny. Right? But we, we don't like talking about confession. Why? Because it's exposing. And it's not just exposing, it's revealing to somebody the darkest, most broken the most vulnerable parts of our life. It's you revealing to somebody, another human being, you at your worst. 
you at your worst. And so we begin to, we begin to compartmentalize and say, well, you know, I, I, I don't need, like this area can just be this area and my faith can just be my faith. And we, they don't need to intertwine. They don't affect each other. It's so not true. And one of the things that I love to see in society is when science begins to catch up to what the Bible has to say. Science began to catch up what the Bible has to say. About in 2015, there was, a, there was an interview on NPR News with a guy by the name of uh, Dr. David Eagleman. Dr. David Eagleman. And he did a study on the reality of one keeping secrets from other people in their life. And this is what he said. Bear with me. He said, you have competing populations in your brain. One part that wants to tell something and one part that doesn't. There is a real physiological battle going on in the brain. So keeping certain behaviors secret, especially behavior that is seen or understood to be, quote, wrong, or what we might define as sin, means continual struggle with yourself. The internal dissonance and lack of a sense of personal integrity is draining. The struggle involved in keeping a secret is stressful. This means that your brain will register the fact that there are increased levels of stress hormones going through your bloodstream as a result of this struggle. Your brain does not enjoy this stress. Those living duplicitous lives live with the stress of keeping a whole section of their life a secret from people they see every day and care about. The fact that their brains are marinated in stress hormones due to keeping secrets over and above the effects of the wrong behavior can cause an impairment in the person's ability to stay healthy and function well. Can you hear the, there is a war of passions inside you. And the secular doctor's assessment of the human brain keeping secrets. Moreover, there was a man by the name of James Pennebaker at the University of Texas in Austin. And he did a, he did a, a study using blood tests and EEG measurements to measure what, physical, what physically happened to people who actually came to confess the darkest places of their life. So he brought people in and using blood tests and EEG measurements, he began to measure what would take place and this is what they found. Whether the secrets were, the secrets were confessed to a person out loud or were written down and then shared with them in the next moment, there were tangible health benefits both physical and mental. They found that it improved the person's relationships in regards to depth and intimacy, and it helped improve the person's sleep and their immune system. Logical conclusion is that to live with an area of your life kept secret, look at me, is killing you. It's destroying your relationships and it's destroying your life. To live with an area of your life hidden and put away is deteriorating your soul. And James knows this. He knows this. And he says, look, we're all going to fall short. We're all going to have areas that we're not comfortable with to share in our life. 
but it'll kill us and it'll kill our relationships. And so the natural response to this awkward moment is, yeah, pastor, but you do not know the cost of confession for me. You don't know how bad I've become. You don't know how far I've gone. You don't know what me confessing the darkest area of my life is going to cost me. To which I would say to you, you're right. Confession is costly. It's costly. It's a high price. Sometimes it hurts relationships. Sometimes it's so exposing. Sometimes it changes people's view of you. Sometimes you lose relationships over it. But hear me tonight. The price for holding it hidden and in secret is far more costly. It's far more costly. And the lie from the enemy in your life is that it's not. Is that it's not. And brothers and sisters, the call of the gospel is to say, run to the Father. And you run to the Father by confessing to a brother or a sister in Christ what is going on in your soul. Let me take a moment and just clarify a couple things. This does not mean go confess your deepest, darkest secret to your girlfriend or your boyfriend. If you do that, you're an idiot and I'll slap you. (laughs) Don't do it. Don't do it. You have small group leaders in here. You have parents in here. You have pastors in here. People who care about you in here. This is what this space is for. This is what this space is for. Now, I want to say this because I think it needs to be said. And it's it's like a line a lot of youth pastors have to walk on these days. But I want to call it for what it is. There are things that you're struggling with that don't just need to be told to, to, to a pastor or to your parents. They need to be told because you need help. Look at me. You need help. And that's okay. That's okay. Do you know the very essence of the gospel is declaring a message that humanity needs help needs help. And we are so ashamed to ask for help. Some of you in here, you're like, you, you, you're wrestling with like some severe levels of depression. You don't want to tell people. And you're like, because I don't want to go see a counselor because that's weird and that's shaming. Look at me. No, it is not. It's not. It's a lie from the enemy. It's a lie from the enemy. And the invitation to you is to run to the presence of the Father by confessing what is going on in your soul and getting help. Getting help. And look at me. Your boyfriend and girlfriend is not going to help you. They might affirm and validate where you but they're not going to help you. You need to go to people who can help you. And there's this fear that takes place of like, well, if I tell somebody like that I'm struggling with like suicidal thoughts or that I've had a plan, then they're going to report me. Look at me. Yeah, you know why? Because they love you. They love you. And your life matters to them. It matters to me. It matters to your parents. 
And the way we're going to begin to stifle this lie of isolation, shame, and sin, and condemnation is to begin to just publicly admit we're people who need help. And there's no shame in needing help. It's a sign of strength to receive help. It's a sign of weakness to do it alone. We watch young man and young woman year after year who refuse to realize that they can run to the Father by the means of running to people. Every time you go to your brothers and sisters in Christ and you are there to encourage them, you confess to them, or they're there to confess to you, and you give them godly, biblical advice, wisdom. And hear me, you are not being a good friend by saying, I won't tell anybody. You hear me? You're not being a good friend by saying that. You know what confidential means? It means that you're not going to use that information to hurt them. That's what it means. what it means to be the people of God. So here's what I'm, I'm here to say to you tonight. Here's what I'm appealing to you tonight. If you've got something going on in your life, whether it's a sexual addiction, a substance addiction, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is, you're having like internal struggles on, on your gender identity, your gender orientation, your sexual orientation, and you've kept it hidden, look at me, brothers and sisters. If you are wrestling with some form of mental illness, whether it's depression, isolation, whatever that's going to look like, look at me. You are being the people of God and you are running to the Father by confessing it to somebody who can help you, who loves Jesus. And if that means that they got to report something, if it means that they got to tell your parents, if it means that they got to go beyond just you to help you, then thank them for loving you well. Thank them for loving you well. And we just need to simply say it like it is. So I'm going to appeal to you tonight. If you have something going on inside you, you got something that's aching deep at the pit of your stomach. And you can't let it go. And it's exhausting you. And you're losing sleep over it. And you're ashamed by it. The only way to suffocate and beat the crap out of that darkness is to drag it into the light. And we do that by running to the Father. Are you with me here tonight? I'm being straight with you because I love you. We need this. This is not just your generation who needs this. My generation needs this. Your parents' generation needs this. We all need it. We run to the Father by means of prayer, by means of worship, by means of community. You with me this evening? Pastor Andrew, can I get you to come back up here? Um, Oh man, I went so long. It's a bad job. Um, Actually, yeah, let's have the whole band come back up here if you're in the band. Um, I'd like to do the full song. Full song, okay? How sweet. Um, Yeah. Can you stand with me? I had a whole nother part of this sermon. I I knew when I prepared, I'm like, this is kind of long. I'm sorry. But I feel tonight as, as we come to the close of this, as you guys are coming to approaching the middle spring semester, things begin to get restless. 
We have retreat coming up next week. Sometimes we forget. We forget what all of this is for. Sometimes we take the approach that like what this is about is about you becoming more disciplined. And sometimes like you can walk away from a message tonight and I'm like, okay, I need a plan to pray. I need to engage wholeheartedly. I need to pray till I pray. I need to do all this. And it's like you've got all these to-dos in your mind. That's not the purpose of tonight. The purpose of you being here, the purpose of this message is for me as an older brother to you to say, run to the Father. Look at me. I know you fall short. I know you're discontent. I know you feel ill-qualified and I know you're discouraged. You know how I know? Because I feel those same things. I wrestle with those same things. And the good news of the gospel is that our God's answer to that discontentment, our God's answer to that brokenness was making a relationship with you relationship with you. And so this is a place. Wednesday nights are a place for us together to run to the Father. Run to the Father. Run to the Father. You know, the more you do it, His name begins to be like honey on your lips. The more you do it, the more his spirit becomes like water to your soul. You begin to realize that, man, nothing else even comes close to satisfying that void that you got within you. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have us just go into this, just sing this song again. Because I, I think there's something so sweet about us just simply saying, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I trust you. Despite the fact that I don't feel it. Despite the fact that I don't want to go there and, and be vulnerable and open and naked in front of people. Where they're seeing me at my weakest, they're seeing me at my most broken. But in it, I'm declaring that I trust you. I'm declaring that despite the way that I feel, my heart's always going to be yours. And so realize that what we're about to do is cultivate intimacy with the Lord. Yeah. It's to stir up your affections towards the Lord. It's to complete your joy in the Lord. And it's to strengthen you through the painful places of your life right now. Are you with me? Yeah. Let's take a moment and bow your heads. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.